Well, this morning we are going to we're going to start. We've like I said, we've entered into the Christmas season. Some of us kicking and screaming and dragging our feet, and others of us are just like overjoyed. I don't happen to be in the latter. I'm I like a little bit, and it goes a long ways. But uh, for the next couple of three, four weeks, we're we're going to look at in Scripture at the Christmas story, and we're going to look at it. In a little bit different way, uh, uh, the Christmas story never gets old to me. Uh, I, I, I read it. I read it during the year. I read it uh, on Christmas Eve. I, I, I love the story because it's an amazing story. It's it's a mind blowing story. It's it's more than I can take in. And so we're going to look this Christmas during this season at the Christ of Christmas. And we're going to look at uh, what I would call maybe the, the back story to help us understand a little bit, maybe give us a better uh, uh, grasp and, and understanding and appreciation of exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. I, I know that you know this, but I'm going to say this. Jesus Christ is unique. Okay? I want you to just to take hold of that statement for a moment and just allow it to simmer for a few seconds on the, on the front of your mind. I want you to consider the magnitude of what that, that really means. Unique means the only one of a kind. There, there is no other person who has ever been or will ever be like Jesus Christ. He is unique. There's no one like him. There, there never has been, never will be. He truly is one of a kind. And so as we enter this Christmas season and we celebrate the birth of Jesus, there's so much more uh, about this moment in history than a lot of times what comes to the top. I mean, it's, it's tinsel and trees and, and, and turkeys and lights and gifts and, 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 and family and just all of that's important. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I love all that stuff. But that's not what should be on the forefront. That's, that's not the most important part. It's, it's more, and, and please hear me out on this, it's more than a baby born in a stable wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. There, there's so much more than that. Christmas is, is not a tradition. It, it, it's not an event. It's not a date. It's not a season on our calendar. Christmas is about the manifestation, the arrival of a person, Jesus Christ. The, the Christ. The anointed one. And that's unique. Christmas is, is it, whether we realize this or not, it's not the beginning of Jesus' story. It's not the beginning of the, the story of the Christ. And that's what we're going to look at. And in the, in, if, if, if this sermon were a book or a movie, this would be the prequel. I don't know. Some of you... Uh, probably like Star Wars. Star, they're going back now. After they ran out of Star Wars story, they go back before the first movie and do stories backwards. And it's called prequels. Uh, uh, it, it's the backstory behind the the main story. It's the story that precedes what most of us think about when we consider uh, that movie. And and what I want to talk about for the next couple of three Sundays, four Sundays, is what precedes the birth of that baby in that manger in Bethlehem. Because it's what happened before that event that makes the whole event so amazing and so unique. 
And so if this, if this sermon were, well, this would be the prequel. This would be the prequel. But if you and I miss this, we miss the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And we, we miss the incomprehensible nature of who he really is. There, there's more to this story than, than a baby that was born. There's so much more. As you, as you read the Gospels, the Gospels are, are, tell us the clearest and the most detailed story of who Jesus Christ is. We, we find uh, verses in the Old Testament that, that prophesy who this, this, this Messiah is going to be, who this Christ is going to be. And we learn a lot about it. But when we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get all kinds of details. All of a sudden, this person who is coming takes on flesh. And he takes on, he takes on a, 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 a life. And, 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 and it's just a full picture, a full portrait of, of what's going on. And so when we look at Matthew and Luke, they share what most of us consider to be the Christmas story. They begin at the birth of Jesus. Uh, Matthew uh, tells it from a Jewish standpoint. Luke tells it from a uh, Gentile standpoint. But the stories are the same and they, they, they intermesh. When you read the Gospel of Mark, Mark starts with Jesus at his baptism. He, 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 he picks up where Jesus begins his ministry. But it's John who steps back beyond Bethlehem. I think I, am I echoing? Can y'all hear? Okay. I'm echoing a little bit. I don't, it's ringing. I, I, thought, I thought it was just normal. <laughs> Okay, I hear lots of things in my head. So, anyway, but if you if you take a look at John, John he he steps beyond Bethlehem. He steps back, and he steps back past the beginning. Now, for most of us, that's hard to believe. I mean, that's hard to understand that there was something beyond the beginning. But John steps into eternity past. Where there is no beginning, where there is no end, where time does not exist. I, I, I thought about this this morning. You know, it's easy to say that. It's just hard to comprehend that. But I want you to imagine that this ink pen is everything that God created. It's all combined in this area. This is time. This is space. This is, this is matter. This is light. This is everything that has ever been. And, and God is outside of that. God holds that creation in his hand. And so when he looks at creation, he doesn't see past, present, and future. He sees everything as though it is. Well, not as though. He sees it as it is. Let me just put it that way. And, but I can't comprehend that. Okay? Because I am a creature and you are a creature of time and space and everything, we're part of creation. Yet God stands outside creation. So he's not limited by time or space. God has existed forever and ever and ever and ever that way. And he will exist forever and ever and ever that way. I'm way over my head now, okay? I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I, I don't understand that. I don't have a way to describe that. I have no illustration that works there. But that is where John begins the good news in eternity past. John states this truth 
in the simplest of terms. When I was, uh, when I took my first uh, Greek course, I didn't know anything about Greek, okay? It's, it's a foreign language, and, it, and the only thing is that some of the letters correspond, all right? And, and a few words I knew, but, but, but whenever we, we, we were learning to translate, we always translated from John. And that's because John writes in the simplest Greek terms in the New Testament. John, is a, he's, a, he's a Jew, but now he speaks Greek. Greek was the language of commerce. It, it, was, it was the business language. Most of the people of that day, they spoke, John probably spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and a little Latin. Because Latin was the, the language of law. Aramaic was the basic language of, of, the, of the common people in, 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 the, in the Syrian area, Jerusalem, I mean uh, Judea included. And then Hebrew was their native tongue. And so he spoke these languages, yet he writes in very simple Greek. And, and by that, I don't mean he writes in dumbed-down Greek, all right? The difference is John says what he thinks in as few words as possible, all right? You don't have a sentence that's very long. When you come to the Apostle Paul, Paul is a scholar, all right? And, and I believe it's Colossians. I may be wrong, but the first 15 or 16 verses of Colossians are one sentence. And let me just tell you this. When you're a beginner translating Greek, the first thing you want to do is find the subject and the verb, <laughs> the predicate. You've got to look a long time to find it when Paul talks. You don't with John. John just uses simple language. And he, but he communicates... Things that are beyond understanding. And we're going to look at, at some things today and over the next few weeks. We're going to look at John's as he, as he shares the, the Christmas story before the Christmas story. John says this, and he's going to say this. Most of us know this verse. Uh, we memorize this verse. But this verse, you could spend a lifetime on trying to understand. In John 1.1, John writes, In the beginning... Was the word. Now I want you to listen to the verbs. They're going to be three verbs. They're all the same. And they're all in the past tense. Okay? That's important. In the beginning. When time began. That's what he's saying. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The Bible never attempts to prove the existence of God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Can I just encourage you a little bit as you witness and testify? You don't have to prove there's a God. Everybody knows it. Okay? It's written in DNA in us. It's, it's in us because we are the handiwork of our Creator. You say, I know as believers we believe that. Listen, every person knows there's a God. That's what Paul says in Romans. It's obvious in creation around them that there's a God. They just choose not to, to admit. They choose not to acknowledge. So God never tries to prove His existence. So why should we? 
He hasn't called us to defend his existence. He's called us to proclaim the gospel. I don't care how smart you are. I know, I know there are, and, and I, I'm thankful for those that, that will sit down and debate with the scholars and in the institutions, and, and I appreciate that. But for most of us, that's not us. Okay, we're, we're, not going to be, we're not going to be defending the faith against the scholars. We're going to be defending the faith against people who choose not to believe or have never heard. And so we don't have to prove there is a God. By the way, you can't. Because He is God and He's always existed. You say, well, Nelson, I need more than that. That's all there is. All right? In the beginning, God. Start the New Testament. In the beginning was the Word. It's, it's the same basic declaration there but the Bible never tries to prove his existence it simply affirms that God is it, it is just a testimony of God's handiwork if, if we did not have scripture we wouldn't know where we come from we wouldn't know where all this came from by the way we wouldn't be here all right there wouldn't be any creation and so uh, John's not attempting to prove the existence of God in what he says here He's just affirming what Scripture declares. Now, you don't miss this. I already mentioned this, but all the verbs in this verse are past tense. John tells us that when time began, in the beginning, God already existed. Now, he, wa he wants to make that very clear. God is eternal. It means he, it, meaning he has no beginning, he has no end, he is outside of time because he created time. Time does not affect God. That's why some, uh, there's a passage of scripture that says a thousand years are like a day and a day is like a thousand years, okay? Listen, don't, don't try to figure out the timeline of God based on that verse. It's just saying that time to God, it doesn't really affect him. Okay? It doesn't really affect him. Psalms 90 verse 2 says this. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God himself declares in, in, the, in the book of the Revelation, in, in uh, uh, Revelation 1.8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last one. I am the Alpha, the first. Omega, I am the last. I am the first and the last. Who is, who was, and who is to come. God declares in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 when he reveals himself to Moses, he, 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 he declares his continual present existence. Now, he's not the God who was and the God who will be. He is the God who is. And if you, if you look at the name he gives Moses, you remember, it's I am that I am. I am. Jesus uses that phrase over and over and over in John. In fact, John has seven I am's. I am. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just saying I am this. He's saying I am that I am. I am God. The resurrection. I am God. 
the eternal one, the, 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 the shepherd, the, the, uh, the open door. I am, I am, I am, I am. But John has far more to tell us about God than, than most of us when we read this passage, when we read it casually, we, we don't grasp it most of the time. Genesis 1-1 begins with the words, In the beginning, God which introduces the old creation, all right? The first creation, it introduces that. And John introduces in John 1, 1, he, he, this is almost like Genesis. He's introducing a new creation. Something new is happening. When you read this in the beginning, now the Hebrews wouldn't have missed this. But we missed that. In the beginning, John's introducing a new work here. And in both works of the creation, the Word of God is the Creator, in the beginning, God spoke. He said, let there be. He spoke. It was, it was the Word of God that came forth. And light appeared. And, and the firmament appeared. And the waters separated. And, and the trees and the plants appeared. And the animals appeared. And ultimately, the man and the woman appeared. God speaks them into existence. All except for the man and the woman. And He creates them with His hands. God spoke. And so in both works of the creation, the agent is the Word of God. And it's, inter it's interesting, John introduces a name for Jesus that we've all heard, the Word, or the Logos. That's, that's the Greek word for it. Uh, but most of us don't really grasp that name. It, it's a concept we're not familiar with unless we've studied philosophy. Okay, and basically philosophy is a lot of talk with no answers, all right? I mean, honestly, you study and you study to try to figure out why this exists and you never come to a, a settled answer. There's always another view. And so what John does, he introduces this name that we've all heard, yet this name only appears here in John and it appears in the Revelation, verse 19, 13, where it says this, and his name Speaking of Jesus, is called the Word of God. That name, the Word, as I said, in the original uh, Greek is, is the word logos. And that term logos means this. It, it's a means of communication. It's a spoken word. It's the expression of personality in communication. It's, it's a way of expressing uh, what's in one's mind. It was also used by the Greeks to describe the rational mind that ruled the universe. In, in pagan Greek belief, there was a there was a there was a there was a, a, a creator there. They just couldn't they couldn't tell you who it was. They had all these gods in this pantheon of, of, of gods, but there was one controlling factor, the big idea in a sense. In Greek philosophy, this, this word logos had come to mean, it had been boiled down by the, by the academics and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the philosophers to a principle of reason or order imminent in the universe. In other words, it's a lot like a lot of people believe today. There's something behind it, we just don't know what it is. It's it's just order. It's not necessarily a person. It's just there's order there, and so the Greeks had had done that, done the same thing. They boiled it down. It had become an ideal rather than a person. Now the Jews were also familiar with this word, but for them this word logos meant the word of God, which was the self-assertion of the divine personality of God, denoting God in action. 
In other words, when, when the Word is used, when it, it says God sent His Word and healed them, it's God in action speaking. It's His, His spoken Word taking effect. And it, 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 we see that in creation. We see that in revelation. We see that in deliverance. Uh, John's not using the Greek philosophical idea here in this passage. Rather, he's using the Hebrew idea of revelation. So a, a literal translation of, of this, in the beginning was the word, was, could be, at the beginning God expressed himself. Now we know that this personal expression of God, who John's calling the Logos, the Word, we know that's Jesus, right? Whenever you hear the Word in John 1.1, you think of who? Jesus. Because we've been told that's who it is. Okay? But we don't find that. The people who would have read this letter that were not familiar with Jesus would not have found that until 14 verses later, and they would have found that this word becomes flesh. They still don't have a name. But ultimately, I believe it's in verse 29, let me make sure, uh, we, we read this, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus. And so it's 29 verses before we get a connection in Scripture with who this word is and, and who he really is, what his identity is. So, John's point in doing all of this is to unequivocally de declare the divinity, the deity of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at this verse today. He wants us to understand that Jesus is God. Okay? Now, we've all been schooled in that. We've been taught... From the, as early as I can remember, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's also man. And he doesn't just put on the man part for a little while. He takes our flesh on him. He becomes man. And whether we realize this or not, he never puts the flesh of man down. He will always be God and man. But today... We'll look at the flesh part, but today we're going to look at the divinity part because it's important for us to understand what John's saying here and, and to be fixed in our beliefs. A lot of times we, we struggle with this idea of Jesus being God and, and God in three persons and, and God is God the Father, God's the Holy Spirit, God's Jesus. Sometimes we struggle with that because there is no really good illustration of that. I've heard the water, ice, and, and vapor, fog. I've heard the gas and whatever. But they, they run out at some point. God's unique. He's three in one, but he's just one. Yet he manifests himself in three different ways. And sometimes, uh, you know, if you're, if you're talking to, for instance, if you're talking to a Muslim, they'll go, well, you have a three-headed God. No, we don't. But most of us would be hard-pressed to explain why we believe that. And John tells us right here. He's, he's going to share with us some very important things. And I just I want to walk through this verse. We're going to spend the, the morning for the next maybe 35 minutes in this one verse. Because this one verse in this simple, simple Greek, 17 words, 
one verb used three times. Uh, the same words used over and over and over. He's going to give us a foundation for our belief in Jesus Christ. He's going to give us a foundation for trusting Jesus no matter where we are, what kind of situation we are going through in life, how dark it is, or how wonderful it is. He's going to give us a foundation today that we can stand on, that we can hold on to, that we can plant our feet in, and no matter how hard the wind blows or how hard the storm comes, you know what, we can hang in there. And, and it's based on who Jesus is, who the Christ is. John, John wants us to understand three things in this verse. And, and literally, there's probably more. I, three is all I could handle, okay? And the first one was enough for me, and I just went ahead and dug out the, the second two. But first, John, he wants us to understand that Jesus, this, this person called the Logos, the Word of God, that He's, he, he, he's eternal, and he says this, he says, in the beginning was the Word. Now he's, he's talking about God here, but he's talking about, and we'll see this in a moment, he's talking about the second person of the Godhead. He's talking about Jesus the Christ. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And what he's telling us there is that when, the, when things begin, the Word was there already. Which means the Word was not created that the Word has always existed. And what he's saying is Jesus is eternal, and, he's the only, and the only person that, that's eternal is God. Therefore, Jesus is God. You want to prove it? John just proves that Jesus is God in just three words. Was the Word. In the beginning. It's more than three words. In the beginning was the Word. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says this, and he, and it's speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In other words, he is the invisible God made visible. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul is saying there. He, he is the invisible, he is the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. Now, tuck this in a way, this is a freebie. But if the Jehovah Witnesses knock on your door, and you say, well, Jesus is God. They're going to turn over in their Bible to Colossians 1, verse 15. And they're going to, they're going to show you, it says, yeah, but he is the firstborn of creation. And most of us will go, oh, yeah, he is. Well, if he's the firstborn, then that means he's not God. He was just the one that, human being that was born first. That sounds really good, except that's not what the Greek says. Okay, The Greek word for firstborn means first in preeminence. He is beyond everything. It has nothing to do with birth order. It has to do with glory. And that's what, John, that's what Paul is saying there. He says he is the firstborn of creation. He is, he is the, he, it's not the one born first in sequence. He's the preeminent one of all humanity. That's what, that's what uh, Paul's trying to say. He is, he is the God-man. He is the preeminent one. He's not the one born first. And then it says it's for by him, by Jesus, all things were created, both in heaven, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things. In other words, he existed prior to 
which is Paul saying he's eternal, Jesus Christ eternal, and in him all things hold together. He is, he is the creator of everything, and he is the one who keeps everything running and working. Now that is a big mouthful. I mean, that we could spend, I don't know, eternity trying to grasp this. But what, what John says that in, in six English words, in the beginning was the word. <laughs> Paul spreads it out to a lot more words. Only God has no beginning. Only God is eternal. And so John is declaring to us definitively that Jesus Christ existed before time began, which means then Jesus Christ is eternal, therefore he is God. We can say that with confidence, okay? Jesus is God. I, I, I read theologians that will say over and over, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, that's because they don't read their New Testament. Okay? That's because they've got a blind spot right here. Jesus can't be God. It's not that Jesus didn't say he was God. He says it over and over and over. He says to the, the first time he declares it, he de declares it to a, a lady, a Samaritan woman. And she says, she, he, he, he speaks to her prophetically, reads her mail, and she says, I, I perceive you're a prophet. And she goes into this, you know, she's trying to duck and jive because she doesn't want to get back to the corner that they're already headed into. And Jesus is just kind of closing it down. And she says, well, our scriptures say that there's one coming. And Jesus says, I'm he. I'm him. Over and over and over in John, he says, I am. The his people in his hometown were going to pitch him off a cliff and throw rocks at him because he declared, he said that. I am. They knew what he meant. The only people that don't recognize what he said are those that refuse to look at it and to consider it. So Jesus is God. And that's what John is telling us. Jesus is eternal, therefore he's God. But John, that's the first thing he tells us, that he's eternal, he's God. But he doesn't stop there. He wants us to understand even more about the deity of Jesus Christ. And he says this, and the word was with God. Hey, pastor, I thought you said Jesus is God. I did. But what John is wanting us to understand, how can he be with God and be God at the same time? And that's a, that's a good question. The Bible teaches very clearly that God is one. In the, in the Old Testament, in probably the, the most quoted passage out of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, every Jewish man declared this verse. He declared this, this prayer every morning. It's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's what differentiated the people of God in the Old Testament from every other people. Everybody else worshipped many gods. The Jews worshipped one God. He was one God. Yet what happens is Scripture reveals to us very clearly. In fact, it reveals it to us in, in Genesis chapter 1 that God often manifests himself in three persons. The verbs in Genesis 1, 1 let us create man in our own image. The, 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 word, the, the word for God in, in Genesis chapter 1 is Elohim. It's a plural verb. Anytime you have I, am, im on the end of a word, it means more than. 
seraphim, more than one seraph, cherubim, more than one cherubim. So Elohim is a, is a plural name for God, yet God is one. That's what the Jews say. You say, Nelson, you're blowing my head up right now. Well, welcome to the world of God. Yet Scripture very clearly reveals, if we read it, that God reveals himself in three persons. He reveals himself as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. We call this doctrine the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is a word you don't find in Scripture. It's a word that comes from Latin that we use to describe it. It means that he is a triunity. It means he is three in one, or literally three in oneness. I'm going to use some very specific language in the next couple of three weeks because how you say these things make a great deal of difference. And for the first three or four hundred, five hundred years of the church, they went to war with each other so that it would be said correctly. I'm going to read you in a couple of weeks a, a statement from the, the church council at Chalcedon that is just so finely worded that, that it can only mean one thing. And it's, it's Orthodox Christianity. It's what we believe about God. And so what happens is, is, is in these verses, if we put them together and what John says, the Word was with God, we have this, this picture of, 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 of a three-in-oneness. We find in Genesis 1.26, like I said, God, Elohim, let us make man in our own image and according to our likeness. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God who reveals himself in three persons. Every person, each one of them being fully God. And John purposely communicates this truth here to show us the equality of the word and the equality of God together. They're equal to each other. Yet they're distinct in their identity. This, this phrase, if you translated it literally, could be, and the word was face to face with God. That's what John is saying. And the word, we use the word with, literally the word pros there that's used in the Greek means to be face to face with. The word was face to face with God. That usage means that, that Jesus was equal yet distinct with personality and fellowship, but yet he coexisted with God as God the Son. You say, Nelson, it's beginning to blow. Just right, hang with me, okay? Hang with me. God's not going to probably, you're not going to get all this because I'm still trying to grasp all this. Jesus was God the Son, but he was not God the Father, and he was not God the Holy Spirit. Everybody with me now? Okay. That means he was equal, yet he's still distinct. But Jesus is as much God as, as the, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He's not less than. The Holy Spirit's not a little less than Jesus. They are equal. They are co-equal, co-existent. Those are the words the church fathers used. Yet there's a unity of God as one undivided being. Now, I don't understand that, okay? Yet he's not divided. He's one. The only distinction between the members of the Trinity is the way they relate to each other and to creation. Each has a function. 
Each has a, has, has a, a specific role that they carry out. They're equal uh, in being, but they are subordinate in their roles. Jesus has specific roles. The Father has specific roles. The Holy Spirit has specific roles. Each possesses the whole being and all the attributes of God. None of them are less than God at any time. Even when Jesus walked on this earth, he was fully God. He just chose not to use his God stuff. All right? Because if he uses his God stuff, you and I can't do everything he did or even the things he didn't do. So he chooses to, to limit and to live in the, in, the, in, the, in the flesh that we live in because he had to die for that flesh. And for him to die for it, he had to be that flesh and live out the life that we live. He couldn't take a shortcut. I mean, if he was going to take a shortcut, he could have been, Scotty could have beamed him down. If you don't know what that means, you're not a star. Uh, what is it called? Yeah, you're not a Trekkie. But he could have beamed down one day and did what he needed to do, died on a cross and been about it. But no, he, he, had, to, he had to become one of us and experience everything that we experience to, be, to, to encounter it and make a right choice, and make a right choice, and make a right choice. And so he, he literally exists face to face with God. Now, I can't explain that, okay? It blows my mind, but what John says in those seven simple words, he's saying Jesus is God. So here you have, you have Jesus is eternal, therefore he's God. Jesus exists face to face with God. Remember, he's eternal, he's God. So Jesus has a different personality and a different responsibility, yet he's God. Then the third thing he says, and the Word was God. Now, John didn't even have to say that because he's already said it twice. Y'all tracking with me? He's given, us, he's given us characteristics that only God has. But, but John drives the nail out of sight here, okay? Have you ever hit a nail and, and it just stopped at the top of the board and you're supposed to take a, 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 a nail punch and, and ease that thing in so you can put the putty? That's not usually how I drive nails, okay? I, I mean, I usually, they go out of sight, okay? And that's what John's doing here. He's driving that nail out of sight. And he wants us to understand that Jesus is eternal, that he's God, and he wants us to understand it so much that he just says it, and the Word was God. John states it as clear and as plain as this truth can be stated, and he does it in words and grammar that, that he uses. He, he makes sure that nobody messes this up. Now, it's the JVs again. They're going to tell you that, no, 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 that's not what that says. The Word was God. They're going to say, they're going to get their little translation out, they're going to turn over to John 1.1 1, 1, and they're going, to, they're going to get you to look. You say, Nelson, how do you know this? Because I start slobbering every time they knock on my door. All right? I used to not. Now listen to me. I can remember, I still have this picture on my mind. Uh, I, the do, I heard somebody knock on the door. I looked out there. Or I, saw, I heard the dog bark. I looked out, cracked through my blind, sleeping late. It's Saturday morning. I really don't want to talk to anybody. 
Here's an older person, a younger person. The older person is the trainer. The younger person is the trainee. The older person is the one that's going to do all the talking. The younger person is trying to learn the process. And I thought, God, I don't really want to talk to them. And so I did. Because I've heard many fine people say, don't even answer their door. Preachers, don't even answer their door. Don't, it, don't, don't give them the, 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 the whatever of your presence. Don't do that. Well, how are they going to know the truth if somebody doesn't stand there and declare it to them? And so I've taken after that, and God, boy, he worked on me for a while. I decide, you know what, I'm going to be the one that messes the trainee up. Okay, I may not can mess up. Because they're going to argue in a circle. If you've ever argued, if you've ever, not argued, if you've ever debated with anybody that has a little circle, it doesn't matter what you bring in, they're going to stay on this circle. And if they get off that circle, they're going to the car. And so I was in my first semester of Greek. I didn't know anything except a word or two, but I decided I'm going to confront them. So they come, and they knock on the door, and I'm friendly, and we, we, we begin to go there. And they say, I, I said, well, I, listen, I, I, I know what you believe, and I believe Jesus is God. Well, well, you know, that's not, and the scripture says that, and I quote them this passage. And they said, well, no, that's not exactly what it says. And, and they said, uh, let, me, uh, let me show you. And so they get their, their translation out, and in their translation, it, it, it says, the word was a God. That's what it says. <clears throat> The only problem is, that's not what it says in the Greek text. That's not what it says in the Nestle's edition or the UBS edition. That's what it says in their edition. That's not what John said. John used four words. He uses four words here. He doesn't say that Jesus is a God. He says that Jesus is God. And he says it in such a way in the Greek text, that it cannot be translated any other way. He, he, he says, Theos ain ho logos. Theos is God. Ain is, is the past tense of, of is, which means was. The word, ho logos. And ho logos, the word, is the, is the, is the subject of that sentence. So that means God... Is, is a part of the predicate. He's a part, was God. It's descriptive. It, God is, is describing who Jesus is. He said, Nelson, what do we need to know all this stuff? Because this word is so precise. It is so precise that if you take the time to dig in it, you cannot help but believe it. 2,000 years, Jesus picks, our, the Holy Spirit picks Greek. Because you can be so specific in Greek, and yet we want to translate it all English and go by the English translation and argue whether or not it's King James or New NIV or New American Standard. It don't matter. They're all translated from Greek and Hebrew. And the Greek is so precise. And John, although he writes in simple Greek, can I just tell you something? When you say things simple with the fewest words, there's no debate. There are some pastors I like to watch on TV that can say things in, in a sentence that it takes most other pastors a whole sermon to say. 
You know what I'm talking about. That's what John says here. He writes those last four words in a way that they cannot be translated any other way. And so what he's trying to tell us is the Word is God and God is the Word. In other words, Jesus is God. God describes the nature of the Word in this meaning. Jesus has the nature of God. In other words, He is God. So when they get their little Bible out and they show you that, you don't even have to know Greek. Okay? Just tell them, you know what? My Greek Bible doesn't have that article there. It doesn't have A. And when it's missing that article, it's specific. And when it's written this way, it's part of the predicate. It's not a part of the, 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 the subject. It's not, it's not, it's, the meaning is not noun-based, in other words. And then, then when they go over there to, to Colossians and want to tell you he's firstborn, just say, well, that's not the word they use there, and you don't even have to know it. The word they use there means he's not born in, in firstborn in succession or, or birth order. That word has nothing to do with birth order. It has to do with preeminence. And here's the response you will get. Well, we're going to send brother so-and-so over. He knows a lot about Greek. Well, that's been 20 years ago. Brother so-and-so has never come down my... In fact, they don't come to see me anymore. I think they have the black mark on my driveway. And I, I say this, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but I realized, you know what? I didn't affect the person that was sharing that day, but I could see the little girl's eyes that was training and she had lots of questions. Okay, that's my job, to sow seeds. Because if you sow real seeds, those real seeds may one day produce fruit. And they may set that child free from a, a belief system that's not true. And John is very, very specific here. If he had wanted to say that, that, that the word is a God, he would have he written it different. He, he, would have, he would have said, Hologos and Theos, he, instead of doing it the other way. Theos and Hologos. He would have done it that way. But it wasn't John that was speaking. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through John. And that's how precise and that's how pinpoint the Scriptures are. John wrote this phrase in such a way that it could only mean one thing. The Word, Jesus Christ, is God. So in three simple phrases, the Word existed before creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was face to face with God. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Which is exactly what it says. It introduces us to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, to the eternal deity of the Christ of Christmas. This is who Jesus is. John's purpose in his Gospel is to show his audience... That Jesus is God. And in 17 Greek words and 17 in English, they match up, which is unusual. Okay? 17 words, the Apostle John declares the eternality of Jesus. He, he declares his, his divine nature, his equality, and his coexistence with God, and his deity of God. In arche and hologos, kai hologos, in prostantheon, ke theos in hologos. It's basically, I mean, here's one, two, three times he uses logos. Uh, he uses chi, which means and twice. He's got uh, 
uh, theon, theon, uh, theos, same word. It's basically just a handful of words. Just a very few words that he uses. And John takes us back past eternity, I mean into eternity. He takes us back past before time began. And he introduces us to, listen, this is the point of all this. Now, what is the point of this? Because in eternity past, there is a God who loves every one of you. Every one of us who loves us and who loved us before you and I were ever created, before you and I ever did anything right or wrong. In fact, before Adam and Eve sinned, and fell before one drop of water, one beam of light, or one gram of matter existed. There was a God who loved us. And Jesus, John gives us an eternal answer in this verse for the temporal situation that we have. How many of you realize that we are born sinners? And then, if that's not bad enough, then we sin on our own. Now, that's a temporal situation if we accept the eternal answer. It's an eternal situation if we don't accept the eternal answer. And that's what John's showing us here. Our sin separated us from God. And that temporal situation, that temporal separation, if we turn to God, is just temporary. But if we don't, it's eternal. Yet God chose and He sent and He crucifies the Word who is Jesus Christ in eternity past. You say, Nelson, how do I, how do, how do I know it's eternity past? Because Scripture says that, that, that in heaven there appeared a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And by the way, if, if that's not enough for you, you remember my little illustration? This is God out here. This is time and everything else. And so anything God does is done in eternity past, in eternity present, and in eternity future because those three words are used to measure time and in eternity there is no time. Does that make sense? Man, this book is so, so relative. It is so rational. It makes sense. If you're a mathematician, this is a book that just makes sense. And what John is trying to show us is that God provided the answer before there was ever a problem. The solution was taken care of. I know we struggle, and I'm listen, I'm struggling right now with some things. That, that have gone on in the past uh, six months. I'm struggling with them. I'm asking questions. I, I'm not getting any answers. But you know what? God already put the answers in place before he ever this, this problem ever surfaced. The situation ever took place. He already had taken care of it. We see God through little cracks. You ever peek through a crack in the wall or a keyhole? You can only see bits and pieces. God doesn't look through the crack. He sees it, all of it, beginning and end, and everything in between. I don't know why He does things the way He does, all right? But I know this. He loves us. And He loves every person outside this door. 
He loves every one of them. He created all of us for relationship. We have always been, and when I use the word we, not just us in this room, but everyone else who's ever lived or will ever live, we are, we're on his mind. We have always been on his mind. Listen to me. That's how much Jesus loves us. God himself would step down out of glory into this place and take on our flesh and become one of us and unite himself for eternity with us. I had a friend that had an illustration. I probably shouldn't share this because this will mess all of you up for the rest of the day. Okay? But he said, he said, he said Nelson, do you realize how far God had to come? Not really. He said, well, just imagine this. What's the worst little creature you can think of that lives on this earth? I thought for a minute. I said, cockroaches. Because I'm telling you, in plumbing, I have seen cockroaches. In places cockroaches shouldn't be. Okay? I've opened cabinets and everything in the cabinet be moving. I've been in houses. I've seen cockroaches this long. All right? I know y'all don't want to know where. I'm not going to tell you. What any of your houses, all right? But for me, cockroaches are about as bad as they can be. He said, well, Nelson, just think of this. God became man. What if man had been cockroaches? Then God would have become a cockroach. Because that's the only way the cockroaches could understand what was going on. That's how far God came. He became his creation. The very God of God stepped down into this realm and died on a cross for me. For me. He became me so that I didn't have to spend eternity paying for my sins. He paid for them. And folks, He paid for all of them. Past, present, and future. That's who the baby in the in the manger was. That's what Christmas is about. That, we're going to look next week at the incarnation. And we're going to look at, 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 at some other aspects of, 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 of what John shares with us and, and what Scripture teaches. But if we don't understand and, and come to grips with and settle it in our spirit that Jesus is God, then nothing else matters. Because only God could do what Jesus did. No human being could do that. You say, well, why not? Well, because every one of us were born with a nature that sins. Only Jesus didn't have that nature. Only Jesus could make choices based in what the Spirit of God said and what God's Word said. We make our choices based out of the way we feel very often. And, and it's, the way we feel is very often colored. It's not very often. It's colored with a sin nature. He could freely make those decisions. No man could die. If you're, if you're messed up, you can't die for somebody else that's messed up. That sacrifice had to be perfect with no, no spots, no blemishes, no sin. So God says, I'll do it. Now, I can't explain that. I don't understand that. It blows my mind. But that's what Scripture teaches. And that's where John starts in the story of Jesus. 
Christmas is about Jesus Christ alone. Everything else is just fluff on the cake. It really is. It's about an eternal God who was willing to become one of us, to become like us, so that he might save us from our sins. I I, I find it interesting that the angel, when he appears to Mary, she, he tells her, you name him Jesus, for he'll save his people from his sins. When he, when he appears to Joseph, you name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came, was to save us from our sins. He was to be our deliverer, our Savior, our Messiah, our Christ. By the way, the, the word Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one. Jesus is, Christ is not his last name. <laughs> it's who he is. It's who he is. It became a part of his name in about 300 years with the church. It, it became so, uh, so normal to speak of Jesus as the Christ that they dropped the, and he just became Jesus Christ because they understood it. Folks, we need to reintroduce ourselves to the God who is the Word who came to die for us and to give us life. This is who Jesus is. This is what Christmas is about. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.